0: This is Let's Have a Drink, a podcast from BizNow Media, where we grab a drink with the people who build, buy, sell and shape New York City real estate. I'm Miriam Hall, BizNow's New York reporter. Today, we're having a drink with New York City investment sales broker Bob Nackle. Hi, how,
1: hey, are you? how are you? <laughs> I am so sorry. Oh, it's
0: fine. I totally get it. So we meet in the library of the Pen Club on West 44th Street. Bob graduated from Wharton and he's been a member here since the club opened in
1: 1994. What are you going to
0: have? Oh, probably a glass of wine. I'll have
1: whatever
0: you're going to have. So, what do you Chardonnay? Think? Yeah,
1: I like chardonnay. okay, great.
0: These days, he leads investment sales at JLL. In total, he's closed more than 18 billion in building sales over his career, but he's probably best known for co-founding the brokerage massey Knackle. Although they almost went bankrupt more than once in the 1990s, they managed to cling on and eventually sold the company for a hundred million to Cushman and Wakefield in 2014.
1: Again, sorry. No
0: problem. You. I totally get it. But becoming a real estate broker really wasn't part of the plan. In fact it kind of started as a mistake. In the summer between his freshman and sophomore years in college, he was looking for a summer internship and dropped his resume in at Caldwell Banker, mistaking the real estate company for a bank.
1: The reason I was in Continental Plaza in Hackensack was because there was a Payne-Weber office there. Right. So I was actually there to drop my resume off at Payne-Weber and when I came out of the Payne Weber office, right across the hall was Coldwell Banker. So I thought, it's another bank, let me go drop my resume off there. So it wasn't until the following day, um, when I had actually later that same day, I was called by Coldwell Banker to set up an interview for the following day. And it wasn't until I went to the library the following day that I came to find out that Kolo Banker was indeed a real estate company
0: we were like mm, this is a mistake
1: i total, <laughs> totally was not into it i was upset didn't want to go but um none of the commercial banks or investment banks were hiring college kids for the summer back then so um so i went to the interview got the job and took it loved it and then went back my next two summers and then started with cb here in Manhattan when I got out of school.
0: Were you a natural? I know you've always been good with numbers. You like statistics, right?
1: Well, I I like statistics mainly because as a young kid I loved sports. Mm I really loved playing baseball and I had an older brother uh, Jeff who was six years older than me that was a pitcher also Uh, but he used to track my pitching statistics in Little League all the time (laughs) so I was always focused on the numbers and everything so Um, You know, I like that aspect of it, and uh, I guess in the same way when it came to real estate, I like the the math that's involved in real estate and particularly with regard to building sales, how you calculate what the values are and stuff like that. So it was something I, I just was naturally drawn to right away.
0: At CBRE he met Paul Massey and they teamed up on deals. In 1988 the pair left to set up their own shop together. At Massinacal, they devised a territory system, which meant splitting up the city into set areas with defined boundaries and delegating them to certain brokers. What gave you the the guts to start Massinacal? Do you
1: think? <laughs> I think I don't know whether it was guts as much as we hadn't been in business long enough to know what we didn't know. In retrospect, it was um, it was a very um, Uninformed decision that we made to start the company, but we did have uh, tremendous confidence in ourselves. Um, but we really, truly had no idea what we were doing. Um, and uh, we made thousands of mistakes because most of what we did was by trial and error. <laughs> but fortunately, we didn't make a lot of those mistakes more than once. Um, but we didn't seek out advice from people who had started companies and try to get. Uh, advice from them and tips and things like that so
0: yeah it's interesting because you had a bit of a rough time in the 90's in the early 90's right you had to get out the credit card and kind of keep things keep the lights on basically yep,
1: we, we over the, the course of the 26 years that we had the company uh, we almost went bankrupt three times uh, the early 90's were particularly difficult and in fact I think the early 90s were a much more challenging time to get through than this past Great Recession was. Um, How come? Well, number one, um, the market conditions were so dire and there were so many banks that were failing. The government had to set up the Resolution Trust Corporation to deal with all the the problems. Uh, Property values in New York City dropped by 58% (laughs) from their peak. In 1988 to their trough in in 1992.
0: Um, that must have been horrendous. Uh,
1: I remember buildings that we were selling, you know, buildings that would sell for 50 million dollars today. We were selling for $1 one million and two million back in that time period, um, and it was really challenging. And it really was a period where the market really started to feel the negative impact of that recession in 1990. Uh, and it really wasn't until 1994 when we started to come out of that.
0: What's it like almost going bankrupt?
1: Um, well, again, it was if you had to look at, at the whole course of your, your business life, when you would want that to happen to you, it's when you're very young. Yeah. Because you don't have a lot of responsibility, you don't have a lot of overhead. Um, Paul had just been married uh, but didn't have any children yet. Uh, I was not married so we were as uh, two very young guys with not a lot of responsibility we were able to go out and get a lot of credit cards to Correct. keep the doors open <laughs> and things like that and you know never really thought about uh, the what ifs of the downside of things which as a responsible adult you would have to do.
0: What are you most proud of from those days? Um, you know I think
1: you know, it's easy to look at the end result of what happened with the company and point to that, but I think much more than that, the thing that I'm proud about, about what massey was, was, um, was the culture that we created, right. um, that culture being one in which um, there were very clearly defined rules and guidelines, so you could be very transparent about what you were doing, um, nobody ever locked the desk um and uh, because of the system that we implemented there was a great amount of sharing of information and collaboration right. and that collaboration led, led to tremendous friendships that mm-hmm. people had. Do
0: you think that was because of the territory system?
1: I think that was a large part of it because it it um, was so clear what everyone's responsibility was uh, and who was going after what piece of business uh, and so, it, everything was so clear that you didn't have to worry about what the guy sitting next to you was doing.
0: Drink your Chardonnay. I feel like I'm like pretend, <laughs> like stopping you, you know, from having it. It's really nice. Um, do you know a lot about wine? <laughs> no. uh,
1: I, I do drink a fair amount of wine and do collect a little bit.
0: So when you sold massey Knackle reported value of $100 million. I don't know if that you've ever confirmed that, do you get seller's remorse?
1: Um, I have not. Uh, I have not... Um, uh, I don't believe Paul has. Uh, I think for us it was the right time. We hired an investment banker to represent us and went to the market, and you know ended up making a transaction that uh, you know I certainly don't regret.
0: So then you went to Kushwag. Yes. It must have been really different when you made that change. Uh, no,
1: it was different. Um, you know, and again we tried to take advantages of all the good things about a large global company. Um, uh, we remained in our massey space for three years after the, the acquisition, so it it didn't feel all that different, but yet we tried to um, utilize the benefits of the the bigger global platform. Um, and that was a very good experience for us. We were very happy what there. What
0: happened with Kushwake? One minute you were a top dog and then you were, quote, terminated.
1: Um, again, I, I have not spoken uh, publicly uh, about the, the way that relationship ended and I think that you know it's probably best to keep it that way. You can understand it,
0: why people ask. It's cool, yeah. I can
1: understand, but look it is what it is. Um let's just say it was the natural course that uh, that the path took. How do you
0: make that jump? Because jumping ship is like a huge deal for all brokers. How do you kind of gracefully, I guess, and graciously move from one brokerage to another.
1: I don't know that there's a a graceful way to do it other than to realize that as large as New York City is and as large as the brokerage community is, it's still a very, very small world. Um, And uh, you have to be conscious of the fact that you're going to see a lot of people on your way in, as you do on your way out, or way your way up, or your way down. Uh, and realizing that it is a small world, you uh, just try to do the right thing and uh, you have confidence that uh, in the long run everything will work out.
0: Do you ever have crises of con- conscience? And how do you kind of work through them? Like when you're trying to figure out how to make the right decision, what's your checklist? No, no, you know,
1: I think number one, you, you think of Always doing the right thing, even if nobody will ever know, because then you can never get in trouble. Um, number two, uh, I think you have to assume that anything that you put in writing will appear on the front page of the New York Times. Uh, so never write a text or an email that you don't want the whole world to see. Um, and uh, you know, just try to remember that uh, there are times when you have to self-guide what you're doing and realize that it's just as easy to do the right thing as it is to do the wrong thing um, and try to always keep that in mind.
0: Do you make decisions easily or do you agonize? Not just about like doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing, but about deals, about how to approach things?
1: No, it depends. I, uh, as I've gotten older uh, I think I like to sleep on things a little bit more uh, even if I think I know what I'm going to decide in a certain situation. I always find sleeping on it is the, the best medicine. Uh, and so in my younger years, I would make rush decisions a lot more quickly. Um, but I think now I'm a little more introspective when I make decisions and, and sleeping on a big decision is never a bad thing, I think.
0: What's your advice for someone who hasn't been through like the 90s? Then. 2008? Is it just kind of like sit tight?
1: Well, you have to constantly be working. You, you should be working in the same manner and doing the same things whether the market is going up, going down. There are basic fundamental things as a broker that you have to be doing. You should be doing those regardless of market conditions. Uh, constantly building your book of business, constantly developing relationships and uh, when times are tough You have to figure out ways to to get deals done. Uh, And when times are good, then if you keep doing those same things, things will be even better. Don't let the highs get you overconfident, and don't let the lows beat you up. Uh, Just stay true to what your core principles are, the the core things that you're doing all the time to advance your business. And regardless of of market conditions or externalities, you should be in good shape. I, I feel very fortunate that I love my career as much as I do. I hope to keep doing it for a very long time and uh, as long as I keep enjoying it, I want to keep doing it.
0: Great choice of the wine. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Let's Have a Drink is created and produced by me, Miriam Hall. It's edited by Travis Gonzalez. Its supervising producer is Mark Bonner.